everyone. Welcome to Life Ridge. Thanks for being here. I feel like I always end up running up here, and it's not because I'm trying to be like real like hypey, like, yeah. It's just because I, I talk too long, and then I'm like, oh, wait, I have to go. But welcome. Thanks for being here with us. Welcome to Life Bridge. My name is John, and if I haven't met you, I would sincerely love to do that. So um, I will try to meet you before you take off today. But um, we want to say welcome. If you are newer to Life Bridge, or if you're visiting, maybe it's your first time or your fourth time or whatever, there's cards in the seat backs uh, that you're looking at right in front of you there that you can fill out. If you connect with us, um, you can also, like I said, come talk with us. We are, most of us are nice. Uh, Bevan's kind of not that nice, but most of us are pretty nice. I make fun of Bevan a lot, and I don't know why I do it. Should we talk about it now? Is now that? No, okay. All right. But he is actually really nice. But welcome. Thanks, you guys. Thank you guys so much for being here with us. I want to tell you about My Life Bridge. My Life Bridge is a place you can go to stay up to date with what's going on at church, our events, our daily devotional stuff. You can give online there, and you can get signed up for text and email updates um, at My Life Bridge as well. So don't forget about My Life Bridge. We want to tell you guys about our gift drive. We've got a gift drive coming up here. Um, there's a box right outside the door there, and I just remember that Jamie is in here to tell you about it because she knows way more than I do, and I'm so glad. So please welcome Jamie Cook. Oh, thank you. Um, all right, so we are collecting gifts that are unwrapped and brand new outside the door in the big box uh, for families in, who are in need in the Milwaukee area. So we're starting today all the way through December 3rd. We'll be collecting. You can drop them off during the week or on Sunday, but they should be unwrapped so that we can actually add a tag at the end after we wrap them for the age ranges to be for. Um, to follow that up, when the gift wrapping is, uh, gift wrap, when the presents are collected, the gift wrapping will happen on December 3rd. So save the date, come join us. We're gonna meet at five o'clock, wrap presents, and then stick around for pizza and cookies, and the Christmas parade will be at 6.30 here in town. Um, besides the gift drive, I also wanted to mention up here is out in the lobby, we wanna kick off the holiday season with you and your family. We know that the holiday season for celebrating Christmas is a great one. It's full of joy and celebrating Jesus' birth. And we want you guys to have some resources to do that. So there is a box, one per family. It says, Family Christmas Box, open on December 1st. So inside there's some goodies. We have some kids in here, so I'm not going to surprise or ruin the surprise for them. But please pick one up for one per family. Or if you have grandkids and you want to grab one, we have a few extras, so grab them, please. And there's just some things in here to help you be strategic with your time this Christmas, to be intentional, walking you through the Christmas story, ideas of how to engage the family in serving the community, and um, focusing on giving and celebrating the greatest gift of all, Jesus. Thanks, Jamie. Let's hear it for her. She's so great. She's so great. Yeah, so for our families who've got those boxes, please grab those uh, when you leave today. And then when you come back next week, please bring a gift for our gift drive. Gifts from Friends of Jesus is an organization that, uh, that's been doing that for years, and we love partnering with them. So uh, the box is right out there. I believe there's tags you can pick up there as well um, so you know a little bit more about the price range, et cetera, for, for the gifts. I want to let you guys know that next Sunday we are having a baptism and family service, which means two things. First of all, kids will be in here with us. We do it about once a quarter, um, and uh, it's, it's fun in short, in short bursts. So it's going to be a really fun week because it will be a short burst. So uh, 
So please, uh, so please come and join us. But we want you to know about that ahead of time um, in terms of planning on kids' ministry and those things. And then also, baptism is, is next week, and we have a few people planning to get baptized. If you have not been baptized and would like to do that, it's not too late. Uh, reach out. We can have a conversation about it. You can use those cards. Just kind of write it on there. Or you can uh, send me a, a call me, email me, send me a fax, whatever. Whatever works for you. Last thing I want to remind you guys about giving to support our mission. Thank you, as always, for your faithfulness in that. Giving can be done online through Venmo, and we've got giving boxes on both ends of the hallway. And we are coming up towards the end of the year here. And your gifts, your giving is the only way that our church is funded. So everything from, from paychecks to keeping the lights on to our outreach budget, giving out in the community. We've been talking a lot this year about the Halu House and how we've been supporting them. All of those things uh, are things that, that the church stewards and facilitates uh, the generosity of the people that call this place home. So if you call this home, uh, we need your help and we need you to take part in that. We ask that you do that. And again, you can do it online through Venmo or in the giving boxes on each end of the hallway. And that's it. That's it for me. So with that, we have a guest speaker this Sunday, just like we were supposed to last Sunday. We actually do this Sunday. She's been here once before, and she was excellent, and we are very happy to have her back. Would you please welcome up Tammy Kettleson? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for Tammy, and, uh, and then we're, we're going to get going. I always pray for guest speakers, and last Sunday our guest speaker canceled, so I prayed for John, and it was really nice. It was a nice moment, so... Would you join me in praying for Tammy? God, thank you so much for Tammy. Thank you for her gift to minister. Lord, I pray that you would speak through her this morning. God, that we would hear what you have for us. We would be drawn closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's hear it for Tammy. <laughs> All right, restart. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for having me back again. I'm super excited to be here. Um, I was going to pray, but John did, so we're good. Um, so you guys have been in this topic of reconstruct over the last few weeks, and I'm actually super excited that you guys have been going through this. Our culture has seemed to be extremely loud about this right now, and it continues to get louder at times, and um, whether you have been paying attention to that in our culture or not, I'm going to believe that maybe your kids have been, or your grandchildren have been paying attention to that, or maybe siblings, and so it's super important that we as adults are leaning into this topic as well, so that we can help guide and help direct those who are around us um, into reconstruction and not just deconstruction. Um, there are things that I benefit from today and that you benefit from today because deconstruction happened at some point in our past. The fact that I'm standing here on a stage with a microphone in my hand given the opportunity to preach the gospel is because somebody at some point decided 
to rethink this idea that women cannot lead in church. There are things that we all benefit from because somebody else decided to reconstruct an idea or a concept that was made by some man or woman in our past. We still have a long way to go on women leading in the church, amen? But I'm so thankful that progress has been made and that I get to stand here with you today. I think that when we choose to reconstruct or deconstruct or construct the lives of our children, then we need to be really cautious in what we're saying and how we're engaging in this. Um, I feel like sometimes lately that people's why behind deconstruction has been really a disaster. Because are we deconstructing with the purpose to reconstruct? Or are we deconstructing out of anger and hurt and to really just demolish something that once held, we held so dear? So when we are in this process of deconstructing and reconstructing, the motivation behind this matters. When I began to pray for your church and for this campaign that you have been in called Reconstruct, God gave me a picture and he gave me a word. And I believe it's for one person or maybe a few people in the room today. And the picture that he gave me was a construction site. And there was a building. And the building looked like it was um, almost complete, but it also looked like it was very fragile. And around the building, there was this yellow caution tape that wrapped around the entire construct of the building. And it wasn't like right next to the building. It was quite a distance off from the building. And I felt like God wanted me to tell somebody in the room today that who you allow behind your caution tape matters. That when you're in a season of rethinking things, reposturing your heart, trying to navigate the things that you once thought to be true and beginning to realize maybe I cannot back that up with scripture, that who you allow to cross that caution tape matters. You see, at a construction site, there are experts that come to tear things down. Not just anybody walks in and decides to tear something down. Demolition is this process of dismantling a building with a pre-planned and controlled method. However, there's more to demolition than just bringing in a wrecking ball. It involves highly trained experts who work with debris, the people who come in and know exactly how to clean up pieces that have fallen to the ground. There are experts that come in that work with the weather conditions. So what is the climate of the things that are happening around this construct before we tear it down? People who are masters in materials and mass and physics and things that I don't know anything about, there are experts who pay attention to these things that we need on our construction site. This past year, our city has been deconstructing and reconstructing our middle school. And if you've paid any attention to that, you'll have seen that the tearing down of the old Karcher building was a slow and methodical process because there were things around that building. There are homes, there are people who live around that building. And if they were to just demolish it with a wrecking ball, multiple people would have been affected by that. Multiple homes would have been affected by that. And the same goes for us when we begin to deconstruct our faith. There are people that are around us that are watching. 
there are people around us that are hearing what we are saying and processing through and who we let behind our caution tape really matters. Not all demolitions end in explosions, although that's also really cool when that happens. Um, But the methods can range from a devastating blast to a non-explosive piece-by-piece removal. Some include implosions, excavators, wrecking balls, and bulldozers. My deconstruction process um, was more of the non-explosive piece-by-piece removal. I didn't need a wrecking ball to come in and tear everything down or a devastating blast, but you might. And it's okay if that's what you need. If you grew up in a very controlling, um, defective Christian culture, you might need to start from the ground. But who you allow to cross that caution tape really, really matters. Some of the things that I needed to remove included old thinking, broken thinking, oppressive thinking. There were things that I could not back up in scripture that I was taught growing up. And so I needed a fresh vision, a new perspective from God. But I could not gain that with all these old things in the way. So piece by piece, I needed to stand hand in hand with Christ and the Holy Spirit to figure out what needed to come down so that I could begin to rebuild a more clear picture of who Christ was. Even if you're not in a deconstructing or reconstructing reconstructing phase, um, who you allow behind your caution tape still matters. Don't allow any random person that you decided to follow on Instagram one day because they posted something super cool or super cute or a phrase that was really catchy. Don't let that random person guide you in your reconstructing process. You need to have people who are face-to-face with you, that you can call, that you can actually dialogue with. People that are far off on Instagram or Facebook and any social media platform cannot be your guide through deconstruction and reconstruction because who you let behind your caution tape really matters. Don't let angry people lead you as you reconstruct. Don't let hurt people lead your way as you reconstruct. You need to let the Holy Spirit lead you and pastors and leaders who you trust that you can share your heart with and they can hear it and help you. Well, that's what I felt like God had me come to say this morning to somebody or maybe a few people in the room. So I wanted to get that out there first so that the Holy Spirit can do what he needs to do with any of that. And today our topic that we're talking about is deconstructing legalism and reconstructing grace. One of the things that I shared on the podcast this week with your pastor, I wanted to reiterate here before we began to dive into this, that um, the opposite of grace is not law. So we're talking about legalism, we're talking about grace, but the opposite of grace is not law. Because the opposite of grace is actually the absence of grace. We can see, or we'll see here in a little bit, that... um, The law actually comes to bring correction and to bring the grace, but it is not the opposite of grace. So I figured before we dive into this full topic of of exchanging legalism for grace, that we needed to maybe start with where did the law come from? Because I thought a time or two, and, and I've had other people ask me, my kids have said some things to me before, like, why did God create law if he was always intending for us to live under grace? Why was there the Ten Commandments 
if there was so, such a high expectation that we could never live up to it, and he always intended for us to live under grace. Well, there was a lot of history that happened between Exodus 20, when we get the Ten Commandments, and the beginning of creation. So let's go back and let's figure out where the law came from. We'll see here that if we look into Genesis, that God's original plan was relationship. His original design for him and his creator, or his creation, was to be in relationship with them. In Genesis, God created Adam and Eve. And it says that God began to form every beast of the ground and every bird of the air, and he bring, brought it to Adam. And he asked Adam, what do you want to name this? And he was in communication with him. He was creating with Adam. He was there in a relationship to be with Adam. And it says that after all these things were created, all of the beasts of the field and the birds of the air, that they both looked at each other and realized there was nothing in all of this that was suitable for Adam. So then God created Eve. So he put Adam to sleep and he began to perform surgery on Adam and he took a rib from him and he created a woman. And I sometimes wonder how long God and Eve had together before Adam woke up. Because the Bible doesn't tell us how long Adam was asleep or in recovery from his surgery. And I often wonder how long just the two of them got to be together. I, I kind of believe that God walked with Eve through the garden and showed her all of his creation. I think he introduced Eve to the, the beasts and to the birds and, and told them what him and Adam came up with for the name. I think that he delighted in her as his creation and that he walked with her and he took his time with her. But at this point in history, there was only one rule. There was only one boundary. There was one tree that Adam and Eve could not eat from, but everything else was available to them. And so we see that relationship is what God intended all along, not law. In Genesis 3, we can see that sin enters the world through Adam and Eve. And we move forward through Genesis, and we can see the stories of Cain and Abel. And because of sin, Cain kills Abel. There's stories of Enoch and Methuselah and Noah and many other stories happening Genesis 6, 5, it says that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of his thoughts and of his heart were only evil continuously. Because of this, we move into the story of Noah and this big, huge boat that he built. God floods the earth and he kills everything on it except the things that were inside of that ark. A rebirth of the land and everything on it began in that moment. And at this point, there was still no concrete law written for God's creation. Which means that they, they knew there was good, they knew there was evil, but they may not have always known which was which. There was sin, a sin nature that was in all of them, because after Adam and Eve sinned, that was something that came in all of us as well. We are born with a sin nature because sin entered this world. And they often operated out of that sin nature. And we continue to move forward in the Old Testament with Abram and Sarai, which created an issue with Hagar and Ishmael. We have Isaac, Jacob, Esau, Joseph, and Judah. 
And as Joseph moves his family into Egypt because there was a famine in the land, we move into Exodus. And we see that Pharaoh is oppressing all of the Israelites. And at this point, still no law. In the midst of all of this, Moses is born. Moses grows up, and after many years and a series of very unfortunate events for the Egyptians, we see that Moses leads God's people out of Egypt and into freedom. Have you heard of any of these stories before that I've mentioned this morning? Maybe some of the names, if you've been around church for even a little while, you've heard one of these names or an, an allusion or an alluding to a story of that this morning. Have you ever stopped to realize that all of those stories happened prior to written law? All of that happened before the Ten Commandments. There were times throughout all of these stories where God was asking his people to stop doing evil things, to turn from the things that were causing harm to themselves and to each other. Countless times in all of this, we see God extending his grace upon grace upon grace to his creation. There was more grace in the beginning of time than there were laws and restrictions. Grace is woven between every single story from generation to generation. God was speaking and building relationships from the very beginning of time. But God's people continued to hurt him. He, they continued to do things to harm others. And so God decided that law needed to come to set a standard for righteous living, to attempt to minimize the evil of God's people and to bring order to the chaos that was happening here on the earth. And so God gave his law to Moses. The Ten Commandments came in Exodus 20. God gave his law to humanity to, to accomplish an eternal purpose, to confront our sin and demonstrate our need for a savior. You see, New Testament writers explain that God didn't give the law to make us good. He did not give us the law to give us better behavior. He gave us the law to expose our sin. So God started with relationship, with grace, with Adam and Eve, Abram, Sarai, Jacob, Judah, Joseph. All of these stories coming before the Ten Commandments is because relationship is what was God's plan all along, and grace extended is what he has been doing from the very beginning of time. We can look at the Old Testament and we can watch time and time again the failure to live up to these Ten Commandments and the law of Moses, the law that was set for God's people. But we also see in the Old Testament prophecies and stories that God was going to send something and someone, that God was going to, they prophesied that God was going to send Jesus to become an ultimate sacrifice for us so that grace would be available to us in a new way. The law began in Exodus, and it continued to be a burden for God's people throughout the entire Old Testament. Because though the law was perfect, it revealed how imperfect each of us is. The law gave people the knowledge of sin, but not necessarily the solution for sin. Romans 3.20 says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by law is the knowledge of sin. The law never came to make us good. It came to help us recognize 
that we are sinners. The law exposes our sin. Now we have knowledge of the history of the law. Um, and so now I want to move into the New Testament. I want to talk about what was Jesus' relationship with the law. Jesus was born under the law of Moses. Galatians 4, 4 through 5 says, But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive full rights as sons. We can see that Jesus was born under the law, but Paul points out here in Galatians that it, he points us right back to relationship. It says that we might receive the full rights as sons and daughters. So he correlates law back to relationship. We can also see that Jesus taught the law. Jesus faithfully taught the law. He rejected the unbiblical traditions of the scribes and the Pharisees, but he continued to teach the law in a new way. In Luke 10, it says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to Jesus. Teacher, he asked, How do I inherit the kingdom for, or eternal life for myself? Jesus said, well, What is written in the law? He replied, How do you read it? And he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You see, Jesus then went on to teach the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus frequently taught the law through parables and through stories in a new way, in a different way, to help us better understand what he is asking of us. He also taught against the traditions that were formed by man under control with the idea of making sure that their behavior lived up to human expectation. He taught against that. Another thing is Jesus was sinless under the law. Being born under the law, Jesus followed the law perfectly. John 8, 46 says, this is Jesus speaking, can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, then why don't you believe me? Jesus was perfect. He lived perfectly under the law. He was the only person that has ever kept the law perfectly. He did everything the law required, never once breaking any of its commandments. Because he was sinless, Jesus was able to meet the requirements of the law to be the perfect sacrifice for us. Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus, as the promised Messiah, came and fulfilled the law of Moses. He testified in Matthew 5, 17, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. His death redeemed humanity from the curse of law. Galatians 3, 13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having become a curse for himself, it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree, which we know our Jesus did for us. Jesus' death removed the curse of the law. The curse of the law um, that the law had over humanity was now removed. The death of Christ meant that those who previously were slaves under the law could now be children of God and heirs of his promises. There was freedom for us. Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the right time came... God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom 
for those who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of the son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, Father. Now you have, you are even, you, sorry, now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Back to relationship. Back to community with God. Christ has taken away the bondage of law for the believer and given us freedom in place of slavery. And then lastly, because of Christ, there is a new law. Those who have become Christians are now under the law of Christ. John 13, 34 says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so must you love one another. Paul wrote in Galatians 6, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law. So when we love each other and we carry burdens for each other, that's one of the ways we show love to each other. When we do these things, we are fulfilling the law that Christ has put before us, this command that he has given to us. Jesus was the only one who could ever live a perfect life. And because he fulfilled law, Jesus was able to become that sacrifice for our sin. And those who put their faith in him are freed up from the sacrifice of sin. We do not have to go and find a lamb, a perfect spotless lamb, and bring it in here to this altar and sacrifice it because Jesus came to be that perfect sacrifice for us. The law came to expose our sin and our need for a savior. Jesus came to be our savior and to defeat sin. So we now no longer live under law, but we live under grace. So about a decade ago, I started this process of learning grace in a new way, with a new perspective. And it truly was um, a really a big struggle for me based on the construct that I had, that I had grown up in. Whether intentionally or unintentionally, I had thoughts and ideas about God and his grace and about law and about sin. And 10 years ago, I felt God prompting me and moving me to a new way. And so I began to think, you know, if all of this is true, if I don't live under the law anymore, but I live under grace, then why is it as a kid growing up in church, I could not wear pants? To church. Anyone else in the room grow up that you had to wear a dress or a skirt to church every single Sunday? Okay, you guys all must be newer to your faith. <laughs> no, uh, growing up, my parents would say, we need to dress up because we're going to the house of the Lord. And we need to wear our best on Sunday mornings. And then as I became an adult and I started to learn, well, God is always with me. I'm always in the presence of the Lord. He's with me everywhere. Does that mean I have to wear my Sunday best on Monday morning or on Wednesday night? No. It was not until I was in college that I actually wore pants to church on a Sunday, and you would have thought that I just had committed the biggest sin when I came home for Christmas and told my mom my Christmas outfit was a pair of pants. Okay, another thing. Growing up in the church, if I lived under grace and not under law, then why was I not allowed to dance? I was the youngest in my family of four children. Um, all of my older siblings were not allowed to go to any school dances except for their prom. 
And for some reason, I don't know why, because I'm the youngest, I actually was able to figure out a way to get to about three dances. But even then, it was like, you better watch what you're doing out there on the dance floor. Another thing is we were not allowed to listen to the radio. Christian music only. Secular music, which I don't even know if we use that term anymore, but music of the world was not anything that I could take part in, though I did have some cassette tapes of Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston hidden in my room. If I live under grace and not under law, then why growing up did I not see any female pastors or female leadership in my church so that I could grow and learn and become more like another female believer? Because there was a certain scripture that has been interpreted in many ways that women cannot lead in the church. But if we live under grace and not law, why are we not seeing every person leading in a different capacity in the church? Because it is the gifts that he has put inside of us that we need to activate and take part in. If I live under grace and not law, why when I was a teenager and I, as a white woman, white girl, wanted to date a boy of another race, why was the scripture, do not be unequally yoked, used against me and told me that I could not date that person because that's not what God wanted? If we live under grace and not law, why are there so many rules in standards that we feel like we have to live up to in order to enter the doors of a church building. The list can go on and on. But as a child, I felt like I had to live up to these rules, these standards to live by and to follow in order to earn God's grace and his salvation for me. Why did I have to live up to others' expectations? in order to be approved in the church? Why did I feel like everyone was trying to modify my behavior? Sometimes I think the church, the, the big C church, Christ followers and the institution, sometimes I believe they try to minimize our need for grace rather than allowing grace to do what it was always meant to do. So we implement these rules or these high standards in order to control or to, um, to try to not fear sin, but to protect from sin. We set this a high expectation that is so unattainable this side of heaven that what we actually do is we create an environment where our brothers and sisters in Christ actually live in shame rather than living under grace. This idea that we would rather have people walk in here and perform a life that looks good, perform a life out of perfection, and this ability to create a moment or a, a, something in our lives that happens to make us look good that we are in control of, rather than allowing God's grace to transform us into his likeness. Instead of living out of a posture of grace for most of my life, I lived trying to live up to these standards and these rules that were set by people and not by God. I tried to live up to a standard that was constructed around me more than I tried to engage in the relationship that God wanted to have with me. My attendance at church, my, my 
presence in the pew seemed to matter a little bit more than the, than the transformation in my heart. In the New Testament, they speak to these interactions or these run-ins with these people called the Pharisees. And um, as we get ready to close in a little bit with a story from the New Testament, I wanted to share with you a particular um, story, but I want to first make sure you understand who the Pharisees are, because I grew up thinking Pharisees meant um, soldiers. And so (laughs) I want to make sure that you guys know who the Pharisees actually are. So the Pharisees were consistently used as New Testament examples of religious hypocrisy. They had established a righteousness of law and of works. They were known for disapproving of people publicly. When Jesus came, the people who were living at that time lived under a defective Judaism culture. Defective because, well, humans screw things up sometimes. Certain people were allowed to judge and condemn and cast off others because of the law. And some of those people took their power too far. They were extremely self-righteous. That's what the Pharisees were known for. They would judge in an unjust or an unqualified manner, which included condemning, rejecting someone for doing something wrong without sincerely desiring this person to repent and to turn to God. It was this attitude that we would prefer God's judgment to take place on this person than God's mercy to take place. So in John chapter 8, we see this clear interaction where Jesus is exchanging law for grace. John 8 verse 2 says, At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. And then Jesus said, or, and said to Jesus, This woman has been caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, we are commanded to stone such a woman. Now what do you say, Jesus? They were using this question to trap in order to accuse him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any of you who is without sin cast the first stone. Again, he stooped down and he began to write in the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left standing with this woman. He straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir, she said. And Jesus said, Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. See, Jesus' accusers in this story are insistently interrogating him. Jesus bends down and he just starts drawing in the sand. Some scholars say that Jesus was writing the names of the women that all the Pharisees had been with. Or that he was writing the sins of the people in the crowd on the ground. Some scholars believe that he was writing what the law actually stated. Because you see... In an effort to trap Jesus, the Pharisees actually twisted the law in this story. And they possibly even staged this event to happen. This particular method of execution was used when there was a very specific set of circumstances that may or may not have applied here. 
That law was in Deuteronomy 22, 23, and it says, if a man happens to meet in town a virgin pledged to be married, and he sleeps with her, you shall take both of them to the gate of that town and stone them to death. The young woman, because she was in town and did not scream for help, and the man, because he violated another man's wife, you must purge the evil from among you. Well, based on this law, first of all, the man and the woman should have been brought out in front of the crowd, not just the woman. And they would have had to know whether or not she protested. Did she willingly take part in this or was she yelling for help? It also states that she would have had, been, had to have been pledged to be married. All of these circumstances that we are unaware of these facts in this story, still this situation presented a real test for Jesus. Because Romans did not allow Jews to carry out death sentences. Yet Jesus could have been accused of not supporting Jewish law if he simply dismissed this case. So the Pharisees were tricky. Have you ever known a Christian who was tricky? Have you ever had an interaction with somebody who was known for Christ? Actually be somebody who fights more for law and for rule? Somebody who fights more for a standard than for a person? Someone who would rather trap you and expose your sin than extend grace and disciple you. I have. But what we can go back to in this story is Jesus moving towards relationship. Jesus exchanging the law for grace even before he sacrificed his life. What this woman received that day was Jesus's amazing grace. She was not thrown the book of law and condemned by Jesus. She was given the opportunity to take her shame off. I'm not sure if there's anyone in the house today that has been walking around wearing shame or feeling like you are the constant state of failure in your family, in your workplace, in your friend group, like you consistently fail God and others. If that's you this morning, my prayer for you today is that you can look at this story and see that from Jesus's posture that he cared more about the woman than her past mistakes. He cared more about the person in front of him than the mistakes that happened before that. You see, he is available to forgive and extend grace to you because more than anything, he wants a relationship with you. Relationship is what God had in mind all along. His grace is for you. For everyone in the room this morning, it's for you. Church, I think it's time that we deconstruct legalism and law and man-made rules. Let's begin to trust that Christ's love and his grace will compel us to change. In Jess Conley's new book, she wrote this passage or this this paragraph, and I keep going back to it. It's something that my heart is like trying to digest and actually create a new environment in my life and for the people around me. She says, when did we stop trusting the Holy Spirit 
to communicate appropriate boundaries through our freedom in Christ? Have we, the church, traded this message of freedom for even more bondage because we're scared to let people navigate the complex waters of liberty in our own flesh? We need to stop fearing that grace will turn Christians into sinners and recognize that we are all sinners saved by grace. That is the grace that has set us free from the law. John 5, 20 through 21 says, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more and more abundant. So just as sin ruled over people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us a right standing in Christ and resulting in eternal life because of Jesus Christ our Lord. So while you are reconstructing, remember, grace is real and necessary. While you reconstruct, remember that expectations set outside of God creates bondage. And remember that the Holy Spirit's convictions, convictions for your life are for your life. We all have our own set of convictions based on our past, based on our mistakes, based on the things that we have engaged in. There's a different set of circumstances and convictions for every person sitting in this room. Do not force your convictions on somebody else unless you back it up in scripture. Maybe you have not been in a deconstructing or reconstructing season, but after today, you can recognize that maybe Maybe there are a few things that you need to reevaluate. That maybe you haven't been the best at receiving or extending grace. Maybe the standards that you have set for yourself, for your kids, for your spouse, for your pastors. Maybe those expectations have been unattainable and not based on scripture. Don't be afraid to rethink things, to pray through to read scripture about, to listen to the Holy Spirit and for his insight on the matter. As we close, I want to encourage you today in two things. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, God's grace is sufficient for you, for his power is made perfect in your weakness. And the second thing I go back to is the story. Jesus asked the woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Leave your life of sin. God's grace doesn't give us free reign to sin whenever we want. It does, however, give us freedom from the bondage and hope for our future. His grace and his love compels us to change. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that your plan and your intentions from the very beginning of time was to be in relationship with us, for us to know you intimately and for you to know us to our core. I thank you that your plan for us to break free from bondage 
and from being slaves to law was to send your son. The hardest thing that Jesus ever had to do was to come to this earth, to leave you, to leave his father, to come here and to live a life that pleased you and that fulfilled the law so that he could sacrifice in death for us, for grace, for us to be approved by you. You sent your son. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would be speaking to everyone in the room this morning, that you would be showing us, revealing to us things that maybe we've taken too far with law or legalism, maybe things that we've taken part in or we do out of ritual, not based on scripture. God, that we would be released of oppression from man-made law and that we would be set free to live through you and through grace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Before we sing together, let's just take a moment and reflect on what we've been talking about today and what we've been listening to. Is there an area in my life where I've added rules to God's rules? I've added expectations to the people around me that aren't really a part of my faith. God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. As we, as we sing praises to you, Lord, help us to be just ever aware of our own need for your grace and for your mercy. We love you. In Jesus' name. You can stand and join us as we sing. During this time, if you'd like as well, there is prayer in the back available if you'd like to uh, go pray with somebody. And I encourage you to do that.
Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, He is Lord, the Lord of all. Through the storm, He is Lord, the Lord of all. This God, You are Lord of all. God, would you be the foundation of our lives? Lord, that our fears, that our desire to control all outcomes, that our desire to be um, really Lord of our own lives in that way, God, that those things would not be added to what you have put in your word, to what you have promised to us, that you will never leave us or forsake us that you are the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus. God, may we rest on these things and these things alone. And God, when we, feel, when we feel afraid, when we feel fear, God, help us to go back to your word, to your truth, and not set up new rules of our own, new controls of our own, over ourselves or over others. Lord. Help us to trust in you. Help us to trust in you. One more time, I will build. I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. And I will put my trust in you alone. And I will Come on, sing it out. Oh, I will build my upon your love. It is a firm foundation. Help us to put our trust in you. God, help us to put our trust in you today and in only you. God, I confess that there is times when I, when I try to add other things into the mix to make me feel more in control, to make me feel less anxious, whatever it is. Though. But you are sufficient and your grace is sufficient. Help us to rest in that, Jesus. We thank you, God. We thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you for offering us grace through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. God, we thank you for the hope of eternity in your presence, Lord, where our fears our sins, the injustices of this world, the hurt God, the shame, those things will be no more. We thank you for that help. 
We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much for being here with us. You can still grab prayer in the back if you'd like. I hope you have a wonderful week.